0: So, now moving on to renal anemia, um, lots of causes as I said earlier, so a relative epo deficiency, iron deficiency, blood loss, reduced erythrocyte uh, survival, inflammation, infection, underlying hematologic disease, hyperparathyroidism, hemolysis, nutritional deficits, uh, certain medications as well, including ACE inhibitors. So, really, there are quite a lot of um, uh, causes, so it's not just as simple as epo deficiency. Uh, in terms of CKD, uh, managing the anemia, so you want to exclude other causes apart from the deficiency, uh, and you can give, um, uh, you make sure someone's uh, iron replete, so get their uh, ferritin uh, up to over 100 and, and uh, correct any other vitamin deficiencies. Uh, depending on whether in your dialysis, on dialysis or not, the targets are slightly different based on results of pivotal trial, which you may want to uh, look up as a New England Journal of Medicine paper uh, looking at proactive versus reactive ions um, administration in the patients. Uh, There are a number of effects of correcting uh, anaemia, which you can see in these these tables, Um, but some beneficial effects include uh, reduced need for blood transfusions, increased quality of life and exercise capacity as well as improved sleep cognitive function immune function muscle function improved mood improved nutrition and improved platelet function um, but uh, some of the adverse effects can include hypertension vascular access to thrombosis and an increased risk of stroke so i think it, there's certainly a sweet spot and uh, over correcting correcting too quickly uh, can put you at the sort of thrombosis risk, uh, increased thrombosis Uh, There are a number of different uh, metrics uh, regarding iron studies that you can uh, target. So there's a table here from Comprehensive Clinical Nephrology. You'll see that um, according to this study, they recommend people with CKD have a ferritin of about 100 to 500 or 200 to 500 if they're on hemodialysis. So um, as I mentioned, the pivotal study that's increased slightly. there are different guidelines when you look at the UK Renal Association guidelines, which is slightly different to this. Uh, well, what we can do um, if patients um, are anemic is we can correct their uh, relative deficiencies of vitamins and minerals, uh, and then we can potentially give them EPO or what we call an ESA, so erythroposis stimulating agent. Uh, and one may Uh, respond to that uh, well or or less well and there are a number of reasons why someone might not respond. So uh, major reasons reasons for people not responding are uh, under dialysis, infection, inflammation, and iron deficiency um, and other less common causes but still um, applicable are poor compliance, blood loss, hyperparathyroidism, aluminium toxicity vitamin B12 or folate deficiency, hemolysis, primary bone marrow disorders, hemoglobinopathies, um, ACE inhibitors, angiotensin receptor blockers, anti-epobe antibodies causing pure red cell aplasia, and carnitine deficiency. So not all of these are very common, but it's worth knowing that um, there are reasons why one may not respond to the There have been a number of trials um, Looking at the effects of uh, EPO and CKD uh, and um, various anemia trials, uh, if you look, go to renalfellow.org and you can look up landmark trials in anemia and kidney disease, I won't labour the point too much, but it has been shown that uh, it may be going really high with the hemoglobin or targeting a normal hemoglobin is not a good thing to do uh, because of increased risk. Uh, of uh, adverse cardiovascular events, death, MI, stroke, etc. So we do target an HB that is um, not as high as what we would um, normally hope to achieve uh, in a patient without CKD. So the UK Renal Association have some guidelines on anemia and it's worth looking at them from 2017. So they've said that uh, all patients uh, should be iron replete uh, whether receiving uh, uh, EPO or not. So they to, they would class uh, e, uh sorry, iron repletion as a percentage hypochromic red cells of uh, less than six percent, although I believe that the lab sample has to reach the uh, so the to reach the lab quite soon for that to be valid. Um, and also ferritin and TSATs of uh, greater than hundred um, Respect. Uh, in terms of upper limits of uh, iron therapy, so for non hemodialysis patients, they uh, recommend that the ferritin should not exceed 800. Um, and for hemodialysis patients, they recommend a proactive high dose um, strategy uh, to be given unless the ferritin is greater than 700 or the TSAT is greater than 40%. Um, and uh, EPO are recommended. Um, EPOs are recommended for those who are likely to benefit in terms of quality of life and physical, uh, in terms of quality of life and physical function. So, moving on briefly now to talk about metabolic acidosis. So, in CKD, there's a diminished capacity for acid excretion and a reduced ability to generate. Uh, the ammonium ion in response to an acid load and therefore you get acid retention and the metabolic acidosis. Uh, and the renal acidosis is determined um, by a reduction in excretory capacity, but also the endogenous and exogenous acid load. Uh, and the prevalence of this metabolic acidosis increases as the GFR decreases. Is no surprise. Um, you can see, for those of, um, uh, who, who can see this diagram, uh, the, uh, urine, uh, ammonia response in a CKD patient, uh, compared to a normal patient is, uh, is very different, so, um, in chronic kidney disease, you, uh, you are not able to, uh, increase your urinary ammonium excretion. Um, And diet has a big effect. So um, for those who can see the pictures, um, it's just worth uh, having a look at at this. So this is a diagram showing that basically food is kind of on a spectrum, and some food uh, is more acid-producing, some is more base-producing, and uh, so that um, a a bad diet can um, negatively impact um, uh, your acid-base status. CKD. Uh, some adverse consequences and associations of metabolic acidosis, so reduction of bone mineral content, CKD progression, skeletal muscle metabolism. Uh, it's associated with reduced muscle strength, low gait speed, and reduced cardiorespiratory fitness, as well as inflammation and oxidative stress, malnutrition, and a higher all-cause mortality. Uh, but there is a bit of a U-shaped uh, relationship. Sense that uh, those with a very high bicarb also have an increased risk of death. Um, so there's kind of a sweet spot, uh, it's sort of um, 22 to 26 uh, in terms of your And outside of that range, you're more likely to run into complications, including increased risk of death. So, risk factors for metabolic acidosis in CKD so, uh, reduced GFR, hyperkalemia, reduced renal acid excretion. Um, which at uh, urinary acid excretions makes sense, uh, albuminuria, smoking, anemia, um, higher serum albumin concentration, asinibitor of AAB use, and non-use of the diuretic. Uh, and so if we give bicarbonate in CKD, you may expect to see some benefits, and um, some benefits have been demonstrated in some studies, including increased muscle strength, reduction of hypokalemia, slowing of CKD protection, that progression, um, ability to protect the bones, uh, but lots of the, the evidence of benefit comes from small trials, uh, and we're kind of awaiting uh, larger trials or better quality evidence to uh, back this up. There are risks of uh, bicarbonate, so it's not entirely benign, as we saw uh, earlier, the higher bicarbonate level can lead to complications, including increased risk of death. Uh, and also it's got a high sodium load, so it can cause edema and fluid retention. Um, as, a, as a metabolic acidosis, it can cause hypo, uh, hyperkalemia. Uh, if you correct that and you end up having an alkalosis, you can cause hypokalemia. Uh, you can also cause hypocalcemia by altering the balance um, of calcium and hydrogen ions binding to Uh, albumin. Uh, It can be quite poorly tolerated and cause side effects such as bloating, flatulence, vomiting, dyspepsia. Um, Overtreatment can cause alkalosis. The high sodium load can cause thirst. The high sodium load can cause hypernatremia, but not usually if people have got an intact thirst mechanism. Um, And as it's bicarbonate is metabolized to CO2, it can cause a rise in CO2. So this is mainly with the concentrated IV form, but um, it's just worth bearing in mind. Uh, and you can also get cramps and nephrolithiasis long term use. So, hyperkalemia and CKD, a whole topic in itself, but as the GFR drops, you get an increased risk of hyperkalemia. So, it's multifactorial. So, diet, low GFR, medications, metabolic acidosis, and others. And um, in a patient with a normal GFR, you wouldn't really. Um, ever expect to become hyperkalemic unless there was something else going on um, and in patients with a low gfr it might just take something small uh, like a medication or uh, a high dietary load to kind of overwhelm your renal capacity for excretion of potassium so you could end up with hyperkalemia which could be life-threatening um, it's important to remember that there is something called pseudo hyperkalemia so uh, that's effectively uh, a lab error uh, due to various things. So it can be prolonged transit time, high platelets, difficult venipuncture, or having a very high white count. Um, if in doubt you can repeat the sample uh, and get a pair plasma sample. Uh, as patients with very high platelets, um, the serum sample may show high potassium, elicitomicemia, uh, and if you pair it with a plasma sample, such as VBG. is Worth bearing in mind patients with pseudo hyperkalemia and high platelets can also have genuinely high potassium, so, um, always best to um, bear on the side of caution and, and, uh, and think about whether the patient is at risk of arrhythmias and how and, um, promptly they might need uh, treatment. Um, so, hyperkalemia, there are lots of. Tricks for treating it. So if the patient is not hypovolemic, you can give diuretics to increase caliuresis, which is a urinary potassium excretion. If there's hypovolemia, you should correct this. There's a reduction in renal perfusion. That will not be helping the situation. Restrict dietary potassium. Suspend any culprit medications. Correct metabolic acidosis. You can treat hypovolemia with incident and dextrose, but monitor hypoglycemia. Um, sub nebulizers can be given, calcium um, chloride, or, chloride or gluconate if there are ECT changes, and there's an emerging body of evidence for um, potassium binders in an acute and chronic setting. Uh, so the chronic setting particularly is to facilitate RAS inhibition for those who've got compelling indications for RAS inhibition, but in the acute setting there is a role and things like sodium, zirconium, cyclosilicate, um, oral potassium binders that act quickly to remove potassium by the GI tract can work in as little as an hour and they're now sort of working their way into renal association guidelines. So I'd recommend looking at the renal association guidelines on hyperkalemia. Um, It's a very long document uh, so I wouldn't want you to read all of it, several hundred pages long I think, but there are some uh, good sort of flow charts and diagrams uh, which are quite useful. Uh, and you can use flutracortisone, so virus mineral mineralocorticoid effect can help increase urine. So for those with hyperkalemia, you can usually avoid dialysis if someone's got a good urine output. Um, the moment you have loss of urine output, you're not really in control of the situation. Um, and patients who are anuric and hyperkalemic are likely to need renal placement therapy or if the um, hyperkalemia is refractory uh, to treat. So, just a word on uh, cardiovascular disease. We spoke about this uh, earlier, but there are a number of risk factors for cardiovascular disease in chronic kidney disease. So, the so called traditional risk factors, including age, male sex, hypertension, smoking, dyslipidemia, diabetes, and LVH. And then there are sort of novel and uremia uh, related risk factors, such as. Um, bone disease volume overload insulin resistance anemia endothelial dysfunction oxidative stress inflammation vascular calcification etc many others so um, chronic kidney disease is a complex uh, biochemical and inflammatory state uh, and the consequences of this uh, are severe and can include cardiovascular disease so just remember there are sort of typical and your less classical cardiovascular response. So options for end-stage CKD, again this would be a whole talk in itself, but hemodialysis is one option, which is maintenance hemodialysis, including home hemodialysis, Peritoneal dialysis, transplant which is seen as kind of the gold standard. Um, and the other option which is always forgotten, which I would encourage you to remember this because in an interview they may ask you what options people have got for end-stage kidney disease. And the option which is almost always forgotten is conservative care or palliation. Um, As doctors, we always kind of feel or often feel a pressure that we need to provide a treatment to help someone. But sometimes doing nothing or doing less um, may lead to uh, a quality of life uh, that is more acceptable to someone. benefits of hemodialysis particularly in the elderly and particularly in the elderly with diabetes um, you know it doesn't really increase quality of sorry length of life uh in in those who are very elderly um so you've got to think what are you going to be doing by giving someone hemodialysis well you're probably going to be adversely affecting their quality of life without necessarily conferring a diagnostic benefit so these are all things to think about uh, obviously, judge each case on its individual merits and consider whether a patient is suitable for hemodialysis or uh, other options and, and whether they would be willing to accept those options. So, just a list of a few resources here that are useful Oxford Handbook of Nephrology and Hypertension, Comprehensive Clinical Nephrology, the KDIGO Guidelines, uh, AJKD, so the American Journal of Kidney Disease, have got a core curriculum series which is a series of documents available as PDFs online. I think you can get them for free uh, with sort of bite sized articles aimed at nephrology trainees uh, with very accessible and non-intimidating introductory articles on various topics such as renal anemia, acute kidney injury, pretty much everything. Nice guidance, if you can uh, navigate through it, there's a lot of useful information there. Uh, Renal association guidance, very useful. Uh, renal Drug Handbook gives palatable and easy and useful and practical advice on drug dosing, which is sensible and includes dosing for those on renal replacement therapy. And I'd recommend reading the DAPA CKD paper uh, because that will give you something good to talk about with relatively up-to-date and topical evidence-based medicine for your interview. Um, with these guidelines, some of them are very long. You don't have to read through all of them. You can just sort of sift through and find the, the high yield. Uh, accessible points such as tables, flowcharts, and um, sort of summary statements. Um, so, I hope that was helpful. This is a bit of a whistle stop tour of CKD, really. It's, a, it's an enormous topic, and I've kind of raced through a lot, but hopefully, uh, giving you some new insights or highlighted some things that you were not aware of or made you feel a little bit more confident around uh, some of the topics. Um, good luck in the interviews. Uh, I'm sure I'll be making another video or two uh, which hopefully you'll be able to